nothing you falling for nothing No way to the world that we know fall ill This is the revelation of a generation Losing civilization I'm the Terminator Just a liberator With our dedication for the Terminator Fuck your medication The administration Can that alienate us or exterminate us I just keep on praying for your salvation You are outdated Society becoming outrageous Keep your house painted for the firstborn The angel of death in its worst form We be in scorn Look out for their horns Remember this isn't their first war They coming prepared So just be aware They do not want to hear none of your prayers This is a war that ain't playing fair They feed off your fear They wanting you scared Death and despair It's all in the air Just be aware You think I care The more that you know The more that it's clear This is a war It's already here This is a war by the descent of science, the systematic study of the nature and behavior of the material and physical universe based on observation, experiment, and measurement, into scientism, the uncritical application of scientific methods to inappropriate fields of study. The virologists claim that they have worked out the entire genetic structure of viruses such as SARS-CoV-2 and upload this onto databanks as Van Wu, Peng Zhu, Na Zhu, Leon Kelly, and their teams did in early 2020, and as many have done since. Again, they claim they have an isolate of the virus, but this declaration is made after they have constructed the genome from their mixed brew, containing genetic fragments of unknown provenance. In the case of Fan Wu et al., despite there being no bats for sale in the indoor seafood market where the patient worked, and despite the inventors being unable to confirm an intermediate host or reservoir for their virus, they chose, nevertheless, another Ancelicobat coronavirus as the template with which to create WH human 1 SARS-CoV-2. This, no doubt, is all part and parcel of virology's need for scientific validation, expressed in its 20-year quest for Bat Eldorado, wherein, it imagines, lie all the coronavirus treasures of the world. In the meantime, it keeps inventing viruses to feed Big Pharma to keep itself afloat. The process virology uses to claim isolation can be summarised as follows. From the biological soup taken from patients' lungs or nose swabs, containing all sorts of material from the human subject, innumerable commensal microbes and potential contaminants, de novo assembly platforms search for short genetic fragments. After finding millions of unique fragments in the brew, these software programs piece together a genome based on parameters set in the program. Along the way, there is a bit of cut and pasting, and if pieces are missing, other ready-made templates can be added to fill the gaps. However, the man-made algorithms, probability models, and arbitrary selections cannot deliver the yes or no answer to the question of its physical existence in nature not least because any coronavirus genome used as a template in its production will likewise be propositional, the methodology providing no confirmable connection with the material or physical universe, making the new member of the coronavirus genus merely another product of virology's sui referential processes. An analogy for these processes would be that you find a million cards on the floor, each with partial sentences. You start arranging them into full sentences, and then eventually a story. If some bits don't fit, you discard them. And if bits seem to be missing, you borrow a paragraph from another story. But how would you know that this was an existing story and not something you had just made up? And why could there not be 10 smaller stories in there or no story at all? In short, you cannot claim to know the story unless you have access to the complete story before you start. And herein lies virology's deception. Virologists do not work with a complete genome because they do not work with a complete virus. They work with random bits of biological material and then tell us that it constitutes evidence of a virus. However, those of us that examine their experiments carefully can see that there's a problem. 
there is no material proof of any virus. Indeed, what the public is not told is that no virus called SARS-CoV-2 has ever actually been isolated and purified as a whole unique structure. What takes place is simply the shotgun sequencing of crude samples, which contain genetic fragments of unknown provenance. Therefore, there is no evidence whatsoever, not even the vaguest guarantee, that the resulting in silico genome exists in nature or has anything to do with a virus. In this manner, however, the invention of the virus is presented as a discovery, its foe status retroactively secured through the act of denotation whereby its naming purports its prior existence and its pathogenicity. That a notional hypothetical genome invented by such anti-science should lie at the heart of this assault on humanity is a scientific and ethical outrage. It is this false science that has turned the world upside down providing opportunity for politicians to assume the role of needle Nazis. That is the insidiousness of virology's crime. A generalized version of the false claim of isolation provides politicians with permission to state-rate those in the government's employ and to extend their systematic program of bodily violation into the private sector, the latest victims being retail and hospital workers. For the remainder, the crime steals into our consciousness under cover of duty and beneficence, causing many of us to accept into our bodies the unknown contents of vials the government has apparently not bothered to check. Produced by a manufacturer with a spectacular record of criminal medical fraud, contents furthermore that smuggle genetic vectors with poorly ascertained effects into our bodies, all for the greater good of protecting society from a deadly disease that does not exist. How a contemporary democracy could have fallen for such preposterous but deadly nonsense is beyond the scope of this essay. Suffice it to say that this is why this New Zealand government is not your single source of truth, but a criminal purveyor of monumental lies it uses as cover for its cowardly crimes against humanity, its acts of terror and democide, and the widespread socio-economic carnage and dislocation it continues to inflict on the people of this whenua, replicating circumstances prior to the establishment of the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century. The third pillar, PCR. The third pillar of the COVID-19 fraud concerns the misapplication of the PCR. This misapplication centres on the amplification of RNA sequences taken from human subjects said to belong to SARS-CoV-2 and also a disease termed COVID-19. However, the PCR cannot confirm either of these things. Its capability is solely confined to the amplification of the selected nucleotide sequences, not to determining their provenance or significance. This fraud then relies on the attribution of meaning to the amplified sequences, which is supplied by A, reference to the imaginary in silico genome and not to a proven physical entity called SARS-CoV-2, and B, a disease that with absurd circular reasoning has been defined by the PCR result itself. SARS-CoV-2 has never been located in a human subject, isolated, purified and subsequently photographed and biochemically characterised as a whole unique structure. It has not been proven to exist in nature. In fact, key component parts were patented in 2007, which by definition would require them to be man-made. With regards to the short nucleotide sequences being detected by the PCR kits in use, they exist, but come from somewhere else, not from a virus labelled SARS-CoV-2. 
Furthermore, the PCR cannot diagnose the infectious status of a human in any proven way, and no consistent link has ever been found between a disease state and the PCR results. In short, the misapplication of the PCR means that COVID-19 is a scientifically meaningless construct that represents nothing more than a referential illusion. From the outset, the purpose of this misapplication was to provide the statistical basis for a pandemic based on a disease invented by the WHO for the benefit of elites and selected members of the pharmaceutical industry, not for humankind. As at 3rd of January 2020, with only 44 case patients with pneumonia of unknown etiology, there was no basis to prime the start button for the pandemic the WHO and the pharmaceutical industry were desperately seeking. Moderna and BioNTech, Pfizer's partner for instance, had lost almost $1 billion between them in two and a half financial years between 2016 and 2019. However, following publication on the WHO's website on the 13th and 17th of January 2020 of non-peer-reviewed PCR assay sequences designed by Christian Drosten et al. to detect the purported virus, assays designed as the authors acknowledged without having virus material available, COVID-19 case numbers begin to grow. Between 22nd and 24th of January, the WHO convened an emergency meeting to monitor the international situation, despite there being only 17 deaths and 581 cases reported at that stage. This lack of cases posed a problem for pharmaceutical companies wanting to get their highly experimental genetic encoding devices disguised as vaccines, onto the market without having to go through the normal approval processes, which they doubted they could pass. A public health emergency could be the means to bypass the stringent licensing conditions of regulatory authorities. By now, the RT-PCR tests were in overdrive, producing enough cases for Tedros to declare a public health emergency of international concern and to stoke the rhetoric. This is the time for facts, not fear. This is the time for science, not rumours. This is the time for solidarity, not stigma. For in just seven days, from the 24th of January, COVID-19 case numbers had risen worldwide by 1245.61% from 581 to 7818, although only 98 of those were outside China. By the next day, total case numbers had increased to 9826. Here was the international fraud in full view astronomical growth of a phantom virus that has not been isolated, let alone shown to be causative of any disease, with Tedros recommending as even more important than the public health emergency of international concern, accelerating the development of vaccines, therapeutics and diagnostics. The stench of fraud was everywhere. Drosten failed to declare that he was a member of the Eurosurveillance editorial board, when he and his co-authors were published in Eurosurveillance on 23rd of January, two days after submission. It also emerged that Drosten would likely face court charges for holding a fraudulent doctoral title. Another co-author, Chantal Ruskin, also failed to declare that she was on the Eurosurveillance editorial board, and yet another of Drosten's co-authors, Olfert Lent, CEO of TIB Mobiol, failed to declare his conflict of interest until 29th of July 2020 that his company was the maker of a PCR kit based on the published assay sequences. For Lent, the deception paid off handsomely as his company would later report TIB Mobile has been supplying COVID-19 PCR test kits since early January 2020. Over the last 12 months, we have delivered over 60 million tests. 
Suddenly the world was immersed, not in a viral pandemic, but a PCR pandemic, generating fear around the world. But fear both pays and pays well. The institution with which this paper's most prominent creators were associated, the University Hospital of Charité Berlin, received a 2020 grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation under Invoice 5971 to develop diagnostics and virology tools to enable a rapid response to the novel 2019 coronavirus. Totaling US $249,550, the PCR pandemic has now sustained the phantom COVID-19 pandemic for almost two years, while it is claimed that the PCR can detect a virus and an infection. That is just more deception. The PCR method simply amplifies genetic fragments. That's it. As we have established, no one has a physically isolated specimen or even proven the existence of the virus. That is why the Drosten PCR assay sequences were designed without a virus, as were assay sequences for the US Centers for Disease Control and Protection. In other words, the PCR has been calibrated to detect genetic sequences of a virus has not been shown to exist in nature. Instead, it is detecting sequences of unknown provenance that are found in some humans and reportedly in some goats, a quail, and jackfruit too. As Carrie Mullis, the Nobel Prize winning inventor of the PCR pointed out. It doesn't tell you that you're sick and it doesn't tell you that the thing you ended up with really was gonna hurt you or anything like that. Indeed, despite purporting to be a diagnostic workflow for 2019 NCOV, the Drosten paper simply described the analytical sensitivity and specificity of their PCR protocol to amplify the selected nucleotide sequences. It did not establish any diagnostic specificity for any clinical condition. Hence, despite health authorities claiming that the PCR is suitable for diagnosing COVID-19, an Austrian court in March 2021 confirmed the contrary. It's ruling echoing malice. A PCR test is not suitable for diagnosis and therefore does not in itself say anything about the disease or infection of a person. The complementary partner in the PCR crime is the WHO's definition of a COVID-19 case. Essentially, a confirmed case can be, and most likely, will be a person with a positive nucleic acid amplification test, NAAT. That is, a PCR test, regardless of whether the person is unwell or not. This has created a preposterous situation where a COVID-19 case is nothing more than the PCR result from a test that is not a test because the PCR has no diagnostic capability whatsoever in this regard, as it is simply an amplification tool. The positive PCR tests are then posted by organisations such as John Hopkins University in Medicine that display meaningless statistics as though they were <laughs> legitimate. In other words, not one of the 243 million COVID-19 cases displayed on the John Hopkins blood splattered coronavirus dashboard as at 25th of October 2021 exists outside of the viciously circular discourse that relies solely on the dual unproven premise that SARS-CoV-2 has been isolated and is causative of COVID-19. As a consequence, we are now experiencing a medical tyranny, disconnected from the natural world and so absurd that the detection of a few genetic fragments in one person can be used as the excuse to lock up an entire nation. The fourth pillar, outbreak modelling. The astronomical case numbers produced by the PCR method became the basis of the reproduction number that initialized all COVID-19 outbreak models. Yet even relying on these worthless numbers, outbreak modeling, long notorious for its predictive fallibility, 
still managed to produce predictions that were spectacularly preposterous. The most prominent purveyor of this speculative nonsense was Neil Ferguson of Imperial College London, lead author of ICL's Report 9, published without peer review on 16th of March 2020, which predicted that 550,000 people in the UK and 2.2 million people in the US would die within approximately three months without non-pharmacological interventions. Its dire predictions caused governments to change horses midstream and predictably caused widespread panic amongst an unsuspecting public, creating an environment of fear and a willingness to comply with public health policies in many countries. When he eventually released Report 9's programming for public scrutiny, Ferguson found it ridiculed by commercial and academic experts alike. One commercial expert thought it a buggy mess that looks more like a bowl of angel hair pasta than a finely tuned piece of programming, while scientists at the University of Edinburgh reported that it failed the basic scientific test of producing the same results given the same initial set of parameters. Ten days later, Ferguson, who believes models are simplified versions of reality, predicted in another co-authored paper from ICL that 40 million people could die worldwide from COVID-19. Modelling mayhem in New Zealand was largely the domain of three groups. First to publish was the government's commissioned modellers, the University of Otago Wellington COVID-19 Response Group. With a report dated 27th of February 2020 in which the modellers estimated likely deaths to be between 12,600 and 33,600, the latter at 0.67% of the New Zealand population, equating to over 52 million deaths worldwide. Having conducted no due diligence into the originating circumstances of SARS-CoV-2, yet having collected miscellaneous information about it from hither and yon, including their reproductive numbers from four different sources and infected case numbers from Australia, UOWCRG predicted that the country's hospital system would be overrun with 336,000 people requiring hospitalisation and between 67,000 and 79,000 patients requiring intensive care units in their worst-case scenario. However, the phantasmagoria of mass death on which the state of exception was decided relied not on the government's commissioned modellers, but on two uncommissioned, non-peer-reviewed modelling reports the eight authors of which, four to each report, had no qualifications in epidemiology or any prior experience in modelling a human epidemic. Their astronomical predictions were not the product of scientific rigour, but of algorithmic speculation based on case numbers from the MOH for one report and for the other on comparisons with international data on case trajectories and modelling studies for the UK and US outbreaks. Ferguson et al. 2020, in order to calibrate their reproduction number with control. The first of these reports was from Wigram Capital Advisors, a small macroeconomics advisory firm specialising in China and Asia. The other, Te Punaha Matatini, which describes itself as a centre of research excellence for complex systems, is attached to the University of Auckland. Wigram's models were run around 22nd of March and predicted 4,000 COVID-19 cases by 3rd of April and 10,000 by 9th of April. It was Wigram's modelling to which the government referred on the 23rd of March when it claimed, if community transmission takes off, the number of cases will double every five days. Suffice it to say, had COVID-19 cases doubled every five days and had community transmission begun on the 24th of March without lockdown the following day, 
the then 155 confirmed cases would have infected the entire population of New Zealand by the 7th of June 2020. Had Australia had the same number of cases on the same day, doubling every five days, its 25.5 million population would have been infected by the middle of June. And on the same basis, the world's population of 7.8 billion would have been infected by the end of July 2020. TPM's lead author made his dramatic intervention on Sunday 22nd of March by going to the media with the alarming claim that his provisional modelling produced on its kitchen table suggested that 60,000 would die unless an aggressive suppression strategy was implemented as soon as practicable, which miraculously would save 50,000 of those lives. It was all rough and ready, the modellers having no precedent to refer to regarding the effects of such a strategy, but more importantly, having no idea if the virus even existed. As the lead author admitted, these results had been produced with a lot of guesswork, relying on overseas data, while the modelling itself treated New Zealand as one big city where anyone has a chance of infecting anyone else. A fundamental error that contributed to the report's preposterous fatality predictions. By the next morning, TPM's 60,000 had risen to 1.67% of the population, or 83,500, who could die without any public health intervention measures. A fantastical story with no basis in reality, but one that had parliamentarians shaking in their boots, and that the wizards still believe one year later. Extrapolated to the world's population, TPN's Ministry of Self-Promotion had just predicted that 130 million people would die worldwide. The small TPN group were richly rewarded by the government with a $6 million prize for helping them promote a nonsensical narrative and drive baseless fear into the population of New Zealand. If TPM were the winners of the prize for the most comical prediction, Neil Ferguson's ICL was the winner overall. Gates, who appreciates a scary story that confirms his predictions, shuts down much of the world and decides that only vaccines can reopen it dug deep for his ICL brother-in-arms, pulling out of his back pocket a roll of grants for 2020 totaling US $91 million, 494,791. Among those grants were invoice 16635, totaling US $1,080,771 to evaluate the potential efficacy of a RNA vaccine against COVID-19. Invoice 23013, totaling US $140,041 to model the potential impact of rapid diagnostics for COVID-19. And Invoice 23210, totaling US $1,487,605 to understand how the social and other indirect impacts of COVID-19, social distancing, quarantine, etc., and perceptions of risk impacts, sexual risk behaviour that could lead to HIV. While 2020 was a bumpy year for ICL, Gates had long been grooming ICL, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation having provided it with grants since 2002, totaling US $302 million, 164640 or around US $16 million per year for the last 19 years. While confusion and debate rages over these models, why the virus behaves so differently in different places, whether there is excess mortality and whether the vaccines are effective. It is all a distraction. If one examines Fan Wu et al's original paper and all those that have followed, the truth is that SARS-CoV-2 has not been shown to exist. There is no such thing as COVID-19 outside of a malevolent narrative foisted onto mankind. To help sustain my channel in this time of censorship, please support my work on Subscribestar. 
link is in the description. So that we don't lose touch, please find me at drsambailey.com and sign up for my free newsletter. So there's a three-part series of this. So the three-part series, the last series, I I haven't decided if I'm going to put it on this podcast or not. I haven't decided. I just thought we need to see both sides. We need to hear both sides. We need to know that people are out there much smarter than me doing massive amount of research and putting it out there. And for those who have eyes that are open to hear, they need to hear this. And it's a lot of content. So that's just why this one is not going to be that long. And we're going to end with this. Okay, go support those um, guys. Um, I can't even think of their name, but you can find it. This is a war on religion and tradition. You know what? Go support those who are red-pilling people. All right. God bless.